before we get started with the sermon today, and as the choir is making their way down into the congregation, there are a couple of announcements, a couple of things I wish to bring to your attention. On your way in, I hope that you received this very colorful sheet of paper. Um, if you didn't, they are available in the entryway, as you can see, and we've talked about this for a while, um, but as you can see, this is a reading plan that we have for the first 90 days of the year. Um, it will take us through the end of March, um, and in that 90 days, we are um, asking you to read with us every day, um, and we will read through the entirety of the New Testament. Um, if you look on there, I included some of the statistics on there because I wanted you to see that it's not that much that we're asking. If you'll see there, the average time that it would take every day to do this reading, get you through the whole entirety of the New Testament in 90 days, is 13 minutes a day. Now, I don't know about you, but I definitely piddle away m way more than 13 minutes every day. So what we're asking you, what I'm asking of you, is to be very intentional here in the first 90 days. At some point in your day, take 13 minutes, and instead of wasting it on YouTube or TikTok or other social media or the Internet or TV, that you take 13 minutes and spend some time with God. Um, you'll notice on there, if you look carefully, you'll see that each week only has five days, but a week has seven days, right? I've been generous. You have Saturday and Sunday off. So it's not only is it within 90 days you're going to be re reading the entirety of the New Testament, it's actually 90 days excluding the weekends. A, maybe give you a little bit of a break. Also, I know how life is. Give you some time to catch up on the weekends. Maybe get ahead on the weekends. You'll see the colors on there. The yellow are the Gospels. The green is the book of Acts. The blue is Paul's epistles. The pink is the general epistles. And the red is the book of Revelation. One of the reasons I did that, I'm a visual person, personally. And I like seeing just how the New Testament breaks out in terms of the different genres. So I hope that you will take advantage of that. Um, grab one of these today. Start tomorrow um, and uh, take advantage of that. Over uh, this year, over these 90 days, um, all of my teaching and preaching is going to be coming from the reading that we're doing that week. So if you, uh, we're not going to have service tonight, um, but, uh, so, but we're starting back on Wednesday with Wednesday night service. If you are here on Wednesday night, we're going to be spending time in the reading that you've, been, you've already done. Next Sunday, both Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, we're going to be spending time in the reading that you have done. Um, hopefully, that will encourage you to, to read, um, but it also it means that over the course of these 90 days, not only are we going to be reading through, but we're going to be reflecting through the entirety of the New Testament. Um, there are two other, uh, now, uh, two other quick things that I want to let you know about. Um, for a while, um, there has been a young ladies Bible study in WM, WMU group um, that's been meeting every Tuesday evening at 7. Um, they meet down in the nursery, um, partially so the ones who have kids can bring their kids and the kids have something to play with. Um, uh, so that is, they're going to be starting back. Um, Audrey wanted me to let you know that they're going to be starting back this coming Tuesday. But along with that, we are starting in tandem with that a young men's Bible study that's going to be going on at the same time. Um, several of us who are husbands of the ladies who are in that study um, decided that we wanted to do something ourselves, 
Um, but you do not have to be married to be in either of these groups. Um, and if you self-identify um, as a young person, you are more than welcome to come and join. Um, but, uh, but do know that Tuesday evenings at 7, we've got a young women's and a young men's Bible study that's happening. Um, if you are interested in starting a, a, Sunday, a small group that doesn't meet on a Sunday morning, maybe you're interested in starting another Sunday school class that does meet on Sunday morning, let me know. My, our goal is, is to get everybody in this church involved in a small group, um, involved in that, that, that iron on iron, sharpening each other discipleship and Bible study that happens in a small group session. Finally, the Christmas decorations are still up because it's still Christmas until January the 6th. But next Sunday is not January the 6th. It is after January the 6th. And so we need to have the Christmas decorations down. So if you will come in, volunteer, and come in uh, on Tuesday morning starting at about 9 o'clock and help us take the Christmas decorations down and store them, um, very much appreciate uh, that. Um, So there we are. As we move to our sermon this morning, we're going to be in the book of Joshua. Toward the end of the book of Joshua. Um, We're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. Um, If you have your Bible with you, please turn to it. Um, If you need a a Bible, grab one of those black hardcover Bibles from the pew back in front of you. We're going to be on page 205. If you need a copy of Scripture to call your very own, please take one of those black Bibles with you. Um, And uh, we would love for you to have that and have a copy of Scripture for you to have as your own. So we are in Joshua, the very end of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, starting with verse 14. Will you stand with me as we read the word of God together? Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your fathers worshipped before the Euphrates, beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourself today. Who will you worship? The gods your father worshipped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? As for me and my house, for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. The people replied, we will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our families out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way we went and among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. But Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive you your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. No, the people answered Joshua, we will worship the Lord. Joshua then told the people, you are witnesses against yourselves, that you yourselves have chosen to worship the Lord. We are witnesses, they said. Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship our Lord, our God, and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a statute and ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. He also took a large stone and set it up there under the oak at the sanctuary of the Lord. 
And Joshua said to all the people, You see this stone? It will be a witness against you. For it has heard all the words the Lord said to us, and it will be a witness against you, so that you will not deny your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear God, as we spend time in your word this morning, as we look at this story of your people renewing their covenant, as we are reminded of our own covenant that we have made both with you and with each other, God, I just pray that you would stir up in us a spirit of renewal, a spirit of recommitment and rededication, that as we begin this new year that we will experience new life in and through and by you. So, God, I just pray that this morning the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. New year, new you, right? How many of you have at some point, maybe not this year, but at some point in your life said something along, along those lines. New year, new me. I'm going to make all these resolutions. And they last until about when? Five o'clock on January the 2nd? What we have here in this morning, in this passage that we read in Joshua, is um, a, a renewal of the covenant that God had made with his people. It's at the end of Joshua's life. If you were to keep reading there um, in verse 20, uh, excuse me, in chapter 24, um, you would read uh, that basically the next thing that happens is the death of Joshua. This is one of the last things that Joshua does as the leader of God's people, is he renews their covenant. In a very real sense, what he's saying is renewed covenant, renewed you. We've done this thing. We've, we've come out of Egypt. Moses led you. We came out of Egypt. Moses led you to the entry into the promised land. For reasons, Moses could not come with you into the promised land. In fact, no one of that generation except Joshua and Caleb were allowed to enter the promised land because they had not had no one else except Joshua and Caleb had trust in the Lord. And then Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy. And at the end of Deuteronomy, there's another renewal of the covenant. And Moses dies, and then Joshua leads the people into the promised land. And here, at the end of Joshua, at the end of Joshua's life, he's renewing the covenant again. I want to be very clear as I'm saying this. I'm realizing how this can sound. I'm not sick. I'm not dying. I'm not going anywhere. The, the next chapter is not going to be, and then they buried Carter McNeese at Floyd Cemetery. Okay? It's good. I just realized how this was beginning to sound. But we have, this, we have this renewal here. And it's a, it's a, there's a certainly a, a verse here. Verse 14 is, or excuse me, 15 is very well known. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. But as we start the new year and as we think about and, and think about our church covenant that we have, and as we sit here at the beginning of the new year to renew our covenant with each other, I thought that, we should look at what this renewal, this covenant renewal, looks like in Scripture. And so it starts with this. 
Joshua has called the people together, and he says, all right, here's the deal. You've got to get rid of the false gods. You've got to get rid of those idols in your life. You've got to get rid of those things that are blocking your relationship with God. Because there are things that are blocking your relationship with God. There are idols that you have in your life. He phrases them as the gods that they worship before the Euphrates. So we're talking before Abraham and the gods that they picked up along the way on their sojourn in Egypt. So he's talking about old stuff and newer stuff that are idols that were got in their way. And, and we see here, when we get to verse 15, we see what he's talking about. He's talking about the things which they serve. Are you serving an idol? Are you serving a false god? Or are you serving the Lord? The same question can be asked of us. You know, I think a lot of us, we look and we read these passages about idolatry and we're like, okay, I don't have a little statue in my house. You know, I don't pray to Buddha. I don't pray to Thor. You know, I don't walk around with lightning bolts on my head because I worship Zeus, right? So, so we're cool. I don't worship false gods. And yet how many of us wake up one morning and find that we are serving something else other than God? In that process, we are serving, worshiping, honoring an idol, a false god. Because that's, that's the standard, that's the rubric that Joshua creates here at the beginning of verse 15. But it doesn't please you to worship the Lord. So, so he's saying, look, you've got these guys, you say you're worshiping the Lord, but you're not worshiping the Lord because you're serving other people. And so he says, you've got a choice to make. You have to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God, or are you going to serve these false gods? Are you going to serve the Lord, or are you going to serve something else? You cannot serve two masters. Jesus tells us that in Luke, right? You cannot serve two masters, since either you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters masters. You've got to stop this idea that, that we can give God just enough to stay in his good graces while we continue to serve other things. And sometimes those are good things. That's the most dangerous kind of idolatry, right? The idolatry that has us serving good things, but serving those things instead of God. There are people who make an idol out of their family. Now, family is great. It is fantastic. It should be really high on your priority list. But do not serve family before you serve God. There were churches last week and this week around the country who have chosen not to meet so that people could spend time with their families. Should we spend time with our families? Or should we gather on the Lord's Day and spend time with Him? Huh, here's an idea. With our families. We make family an idol. Here's another thing. It's a good thing to go out and get a job and be self-supporting. It's a good thing, right? That's the that's the hope and the dream that we have for our kids as they're coming up, that one day they'll move out of the house and have their own job and will stop paying their grocery bill 
but we can turn our job or money into a thing that we serve. That's actually how Jesus finishes that passage from Luke, right? You cannot serve both God and money. How many of ourselves find ourselves waking up day in and day out not concerned about God? Not concerned about what God would have us be concerned about, but concerned about how many digits are in our bank account. Now, as somebody who has been there and lives paycheck to paycheck, I understand it can be a very overwhelming feeling when you're broke. But, are you serving God or are you serving your checking account? And then we don't even have to get into all of the negative things that people can serve and that people can worship. Drugs and alcohol and sex. See, here's the thing. When we yield to sin, we become servants of sin. We serve sin. When Paul talks about how we've been freed, right? He, he says that we were slaves. We were slaves to sin. What do slaves do? They serve. That's the whole point of a slave. And when we yield to sin, it makes us servants of that. But when we yield to God, it makes us servants of God. So we have a decision. We've got a decision to make. Which God are we going to serve? Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve the Lord, or are we going to serve a false God? That's the call that Joshua makes to the people. Then Joshua makes a second sort of declaration here at the end of verse 15. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. me and my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Note here that what Joshua does is two things. First of all, he, he makes a decision about who he's going to serve. He makes that decision publicly. He, he states it boldly for everybody in earshot to hear. And he also says, I'm not just making this decision for myself, I'm making this decision for my family. Okay, now, here's the moment where I might step on some toes. Men, you are the spiritual leaders of your household. If you do not choose to serve God, the likelihood that your household will serve God diminishes. For years, the church in this country and in the West has leaned on the backs of women to make the decisions and to be the spiritual leaders in the house. Church is something for women, after all, right? Men, if you are not making the choice to lead your family in godly ways, your family will not serve. I know that that is an unpopular thing to say in the year 2022. But it's the truth. And it's God's truth. Joshua makes the decision for himself. 
and he makes a decision for his household. Here's the thing. I am tired of parents saying, my kids don't want to go to church. I don't care. Put them in the car, bring them to church. Ashton, Lakin, if you were to ever tell your mom and dad that you didn't want to come to church, what would they do? They'd put you in the car and they'd bring you to church, wouldn't they? I know. Because guess what? There were a couple of Sundays that I got literally, physically put in the car and taken to church. Joshua makes a decision. He makes a decision publicly. He makes a decision boldly. And he makes a decision for himself and the people around him. Because he knows that it's important. He knows that it's important. But he also makes a decision for himself as well, right? As for me and my house. It's still a personal decision. We're Baptists. We're not Presbyterians. We're not Episcopalians. We're not Methodists. We don't believe that the covenant extends to the family. We believe that you have to make a personal, individual decision in order to follow Christ. It's why we practice believer's baptism. So yes, we have to make decisions as parents and as leaders in our family, but we also have to make a personal decision, a personal account, because we are going to be called to give an account to God himself. And when we say that we serve God, we are implying that he is our master. Not ourselves, not something else, but God. Then we get to this, these, these few verses, 16, 17, and 18, in which the, the people reflect on what God has done for them. They call to mind the past goodness that God has led them through. That he called them out of slavery. He called them out of Egypt. He did all of these wonderful things for them. And they said, okay, we know this. We know who you are. We know what you've done for us. And so we're going to surrender ourselves to you. We are going to serve you, God. This is one of the things that makes it hard for me to understand why so many Christians have a hard time making this decision about who they're going to serve. Because do you not remember what God did for you? Do you not remember the the sacrifice that God made for you? Have you not seen with your own eyes the work of God's salvation in your life and in the lives of the people around you? We all know that guy, right? The alcoholic, the, the abuser, the drug addict. And something happened and God gets a hold of them and like a week later they're a whole new person. Don't tell me that God doesn't still do mighty acts for us to witness. They're just ordinary mighty acts. The Lumber River is gross, but I don't think it's ever turned into blood. Right? You can correct me. Some of you have been around here a lot longer than me. Has Lumber River ever turned into blood? Have frogs ever fallen out of the sky? I'm not going to ask questions about locusts because that makes farmers nervous. But you've experienced the the ordinary grace of God. The ordinary miracles of God. I hope, if you're a believer, you've experienced it in your own life. That you've experienced what it is for God to take a sinner and turn them into a disciple. Paul 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that we are not our own. This is another one of those things that's very unpopular to hear in today's world. Because every message you get is you are your own, right? Every message you get is about autonomy, individualism, be your own person. Guess what? Be all you can be. Not join the army and become part of this bigger thing, right? I want to point out the the Marines were never so foolish as to imply that they supported individualism. In fact, their message has always been one of collective, right? The few, the proud, the Marines. It's always been a collective because they understand that when you're on the battlefield, you're part of a team, you're part of a unit. You're not a, a lone, solitary hero because you're not your own. When we join the body of Christ, we are not our own. We, in fact, have been bought and paid for by a price. What he tells us, Paul tells us in Corinthians chapter 6. Joshua, after the people say these wonderful things that God has done for them, Joshua comes back in verse 19 and he says, but Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship the Lord because he is a holy God and he is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you. That's hard words, isn't it? We don't like to hear those words. We want easy grace. We want cheap grace. We want want somebody to proclaim over us that we said certain magic words to God. We said the sinner's prayer. We're saved. That's it. That's all we have to worry about. We never have to worry about holiness. We never have to worry about whether or not we're actually saved. We never have to worry about whether or not we're actually regenerate. We said certain words, right? You were seven years old, and you walked down the aisle of the church, and you told the preacher you wanted to be a Christian, and that was the end of it, and you've never grown spiritually since. Saying words does not make you a believer. Having a heart that God has regenerated and living a life that is proof and evidence of God's work in your life, that is the proof of a believer. It's an easy thing to say that we will serve the Lord, but it is a very different thing to put it into daily practice. Service of God is is a holy service. And only holy people can render holy service. When God's talking to the people at Sinai in Leviticus, he says this. He says, speak to the entire community and tell them, be holy. Because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Those who are true believers, those who are truly regenerate, are those who have been cleansed by the blood and filled with the Spirit. And if money or self-interest or sex or family has any authority over you, you cannot serve God. Because he is a jealous God. A God who does not accept service offered halfway. And the people say, no, 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 you don't get it, you don't get it. We're going to serve God. We promise, we promise. Pinky swear. 
we're going to serve God. And Joshua said, okay, fine. Then you are witnesses against yourself. You will stand condemned by your own words. Spoiler alert, the people don't serve God. What's the next, ver- what's the next book after Joshua? Judges. And you all know how much I love Judges. And you all know how much I love that last verse of the book of Judges. For in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The people failed to live up to this promise. And so what Joshua says, that they're going to be held account by their own words, comes to fruition. They were witnesses against themselves. You see, Peter and the disciples, they did the same thing, right? Jesus says, you're not going to be able to follow where I'm going. And they all go, you know, we will, we will. In fact, Peter even does his whole, I will never deny you. Well, before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me. They they were self-confident. They were confident in themselves. They weren't confident in God. They weren't confident in what God had done for them. They were confident in themselves. They believed that they had an iron will and they could accomplish anything. Now, a strong will can be a blessing or a curse. Depends on where the strength comes from. Are you pulling on your own strength to have a strong will? Because if you are, it will fail. Or are you pulling on divine strength and divine promise to strengthen your will? Finally, Joshua ends with this. He says, okay, you're going to do these things. You're going to be witnesses against yourself. Now, here's, here's the thing. You, you want to do this thing that you said that you're going to do. You have to put away your false gods. You have to put away your idols. Verse 23, then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God. God is to be served. If this year you are going to serve God in your life, if this in this year we're going to serve God in this congregation, then every false God must be put away and our entire heart inclined only upon the Lord. Everything that takes place, and everything that takes place, the Lord alone should have our heart. cannot have fellowship if you carry an idol in your heart. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, there's this passage that should scare the absolute bejesus out of you. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. And they will say, but didn't we serve you? Didn't we, didn't we tithe in your name? Didn't we show up at church in your name? Didn't we give in your name? Didn't we go on mission trips in your name? Didn't we, didn't we pass out tracts in your name? And Jesus is going to reply, but I do not know you. It does not matter what you do. It does not matter how you serve. 
not offer the entirety of your heart to Christ. You can do all of the wonderful things in the world. You can go on every mission trip. You can move every dime to the church. You can tell everyone how wonderful God is. But if he does not know you, the day will come when you will stand in front of God and he will say, I don't know who you are. Because you kept a part of your heart for yourself. Or you kept a part of your heart for your money. Or you, you kept a part of your heart for the bottle or you kept a a part of your heart for your family, or you you kept a part of your heart for your favorite football team, basketball team. It's it's almost basketball season in North Carolina. This is is when the true idolatry starts in North Carolina, when you get to basketball season. You want to know what the real religion of the American Southeast is? SEC football. I don't know, I can't tell you how many times when I was a kid, church events would get canceled because of a football game. Who's the God? Is it God? Or is it Bear Bryant? And if you're in the state of Alabama, that's a hard question to answer. Unless you're on the the good part of the state where they say war eagles. At the end of this, at the end of this exchange between Joshua and the people, Joshua renews the covenant. And he says, he says, here you go. We're gonna we're gonna do these things, and here's the stone, and the stone is to serve as a memorial to you. We've renewed the covenant. You've you've agreed what it is to be committed to God and in the process committed to each other as God's people. And so this will serve as a reminder, this stone. Now, it's important to note that he only did those things after the people had recommitted themselves. Now, we have a church covenant. You may not know that we have a church covenant, but we do. And we're going to be spending more time and more emphasis on this church covenant over the next season. What we're going to do together today is you have one in your hand. You should have gotten one on your way in, but these words will be on the screen because they were typed already and all I had to do was copy and paste. But we're going to stand and we're going to recommit ourselves to this covenant. We're going to recovenant with one another on this New Year's Day. And as we read through here, I want you to think about what you are agreeing to. Now here's the thing. If you are a member of Fairmont First Baptist Church, you have already agreed to this, even if you didn't know it. Well, that's not fair. So now you know what it is you've agreed to. But this covenant, Next to Scripture is what it is that should mediate our life as a congregation. It's how we understand how we are to relate to one another and to God. And so we are going to renew our covenant. And after we renew our covenant, if the deacons will make their way to the front, and we will share in this covenant meal. Now, here's the thing that I'm going to ask. If you are not a member of Fairmont First Baptist, there is no need for you to covenant with us. Now, if in hearing the covenant, you decide that this is the family and the community that you want to be a part of, we can have that conversation and we'd love for you to join us. 
But th- this covenant meal is not a covenant of this church covenant. This covenant meal is a covenant of the new covenant. And so if you are a member of the new covenant, if you are a baptized believer, you are welcome to this table. This is not a table that's only for members of our congregational covenant, but for the people who are members of the covenant that was bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. So will you stand with me together as we covenant together as we enter the new year? Having been led, as we believe by the Spirit of God, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, to strive for advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and personal devotions, to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid sin, to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and Christian courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. When we leave First Baptist, we are encouraged to unite with a church of like-minded faith and practice as soon as possible. You are witnesses 